You know, the word warrior gets thrown around a lot. Man, that guy's a warrior or he's a warrior. But then there are men who are warriors, and that's General Jerry Boykin. We'll meet him today. He's a retired American lieutenant general. Right now, he's currently the executive vice president at Family Research Council. But this man, when you think of some of the great major conflicts in the last uh, 40 or 50 years, this man's been part of it. 13 years in the Delta Force, high-profile missions like the 1980 Iran hostage rescue attempt, the hunt for Pablo Escobar. Man, that's some serious. And Black Hawk Down, he was there in Mogadishu in Somalia. He was part of that whole uh, project. He's been an amazing warrior, great man of God. And uh, when we talk about warriors, this is a man who's not only lived it, but he lives it every day. Because the Family Research Council, we'll hear more about it. We'll hear more about what he does. But they're standing on the front edge of, uh, of the cultural wars, if you can call it that. It basically is the idea that manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous, which is what we say here at Christian Men's Network with uh, brave men. That if you're going to be a real man, you're more like Jesus Christ. And this is a real man. I'm excited about having uh, General Boykin today with us on Brave Men because this is a man. He didn't really have to talk about it. He doesn't have to. I mean, his credentials, if you look them up, speak for themselves. And so he's comfortable, if you will, secure in who he is as a man and as a general in the armed forces. There are times where you and I must be warriors. We've got to stand up when we've got to speak up, and a warrior does that. This is that man who has planted himself firmly in the side of righteousness. I thank God for men like Jerry Boykin. You're going to meet him today. It's going to be a great time. If you, remember, if you need materials or tools for the discipling of men, go to cmn.men, cmn.men, Christian Men's Network, and you get all the tools there. Uh, thank you for being with us today on Brave men, here's General Jerry Boykin. It's Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Wisdom and courage for the journey. I'm talking with General Jerry Boykin, uh, who was a standout player on his high school team in New Bern, South Carolina, then became a three-star general, and now executive vice president of the Family Research Council, and between those things, a whole lot happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you ended up in the Army. Uh, you've had, I, I'm going to ask you about a new, numerous missions, but what was the toughest one you were on, the toughest assignment? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting question because I've, I've never really thought about it, uh, and that probably sounds bizarre, but... Uh, you know, uh, 40 years ago, uh, just uh, last week, uh, I was uh, on the mission in Iran on the 24th of April, 1980, trying to rescue 52 Americans being held at the embassy. Right. And we failed uh, at a place called Desert One, about 100 miles from uh, Tehran. And I saw eight good men die there that night. But we just... We carried a tremendous burden. Each of us that was on the ground that was part of that mission, we carried a tremendous burden because we had failed the nation. We mm -hmm. had failed our, our fellow Americans in that embassy. It was such a, a burden of guilt and failure. <clears throat> so 
that was certainly one of the of the toughest operations that I've been on just because of that of carrying for years the whole yeah. burden of of failure but probably in in other ways uh the the one that I would have to say was probably the toughest was the Black Hawk Down event where you know I lost uh, 16 soldiers that were uh, under my command and uh, I was wounded there and um that was Mogadishu, and Somalia. Mogadishu, Somalia, in October of 1993, mm -hmm. and uh, chronicled in the movie Black Hawk Down. And uh, that was uh, probably spiritually and emotionally the one that took the greatest toll on me because when I uh, I looked at the carnage of uh, you know the dead and broken bodies of my soldiers, uh, yeah. It was almost more than I could handle. Uh, it almost, uh, in many ways, I really began to question, you know, God. Yeah. Not only God, what happened here, but I really began to question, God, where are you? And why weren't you here? Why didn't you stop this from happening? Uh, and that's, uh, that's a story I write about in, in uh, both, you know, my autobiography as well as to some extent in Man to Man. So, yeah, you wrote a book called Never Surrender, which, uh, uh, which actually opens with the intrigue of Washington, D.C. Yeah. And then you move into it. It's, it's a, a great book, and I, I want to recommend that to men right now. You can get it on Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon, any place like that. I'm sure Family Research Council, where you're at now, uh, carries that. But uh, Never Surrender is, is a great book. But, but let me go back to this. How do you recover? You, you know, you were in the desert. And we know in looking back on that rescue attempt uh, of the 52 hostages, uh, we, we know there were mechanical failures. Uh, yeah. You ended up with uh, not enough helicopters to, to uh, proceed with the mission. And how, do you, how do you recover? You know, here we are in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, we've got 28 million people out of work. How does a man recover his uh, balance in the midst of that kind of chaos? Yeah. Well, this is one of those situations where you have to go from how you feel to what you know. Mm. Now, you, if you're not grounded in the word, you don't know enough about the, the word, uh, you're going to have a tougher time recovering from this kind of uh, situation than if you are grounded in the Word. You know the Word of God. You've studied it. You've read it on a consistent basis, and you have it tucked away in your heart. Remember, you know, God told Joshua, as, uh, as Joshua was getting ready to lead the Israelites across the river into the Promised Land to conquer mm -hmm. all that land, everywhere they set their foot. He told him, you know, to basically, my words, but he, he told him to tuck this word away yeah. in your heart. Tuck this away. Well, that's when you are, you are devastated emotionally, and, and you begin to question everything around you. But ultimately, you move from those emotions to a knowledge of what God says in his word. Mm. 
And that's when you're able to get on the road to recovery because you know that he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There were no caveats on that. There were, yeah. you know, I, or, or I, I won't be with you if you're a bad boy. You know, no, that's not, that's not what he says. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he says in Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So those are the things that we have to fall back on. That's when we start on the road to recovery. It's not necessarily an uh, instant process. It's not an overnight process. It is a road to recovery. Yeah, it's a, it's a journey. It's a process. And I think too many of us push back on the process. When in yeah. fact, what, what, what's happening, the, the half-brother of Jesus, James, said, he said, these things build endurance. Yes. In our lives and build strength. So That's you had you so you had disappointments like that. And and then at the same time you also had some great victories. And let me let me hit one other one. This is fascinating to me because in contemporary culture, uh, you were part of the team or led the team. Tell me exactly how this now there's some things and, and let me go back, Delta Force, which may or may not exist, right? <laughs> That's right. I shall neither confirm or deny. Exactly. It may or may not exist, but if Delta Force does exist, and if you were involved of starting, helping start it and, and build its uh, culture, uh, you guys also, or somebody, went after Pablo Escobar. Yeah. Right? In Colombia. In Colombia. I mean, we've seen movies about this, but you lived the real life of this. That's right. And that was a 17-month chase to mm. find Pablo Escobar. Uh, but, you know, and, and that, and by the way, that all unfolded as the uh, Black Hawk Down event was taking place as well. Wow. Uh, and, and it was uh, the month after we came out of Mogadishu and I was still devastated by emotionally. Mm -hmm. I was on the way to recovery. I was getting back on my feet. But it was a month after we came out of uh, out of uh, Mogadishu that uh, one of the teams that I had put in uh, Colombia, I stayed down there with them initially, and then we realized it was going to be a long-term thing, so I started rotating teams in there, and then I would go in and, and spend time with the teams. But it was uh, a month after the Black Hawk Down event that, uh, well, I got a call one morning and said, well, we got him. And uh, wow. when I say we, uh, obviously that's an issue of uh, we helped the Colombians to find him and they killed Pablo Escobar. So okay. let me be clear. clear. Yeah, let's just be very clear on that because I think there's still some controversy with. Yeah, there is still speculation on that. Yeah. With, and it's fascinating to me that we have to defend uh, taking out somebody who was um, – who was killing Americans by the thousands Yeah, with the drugs that he was importing into our nation. You know, it's, it's that, it's that quote uh, attributed to George Orwell is actually written about him by uh, George Rainier, the or Richard Rainier, a, a writer who said, we sleep safe in our beds because rough men stand ready in the night to visit violence on those who would do us harm. Yeah. And I love that statement, whether, Orwell actually said it or not. I love the statement. Yeah. It is so true. 
Yeah, he he said a statement, something like that, and then Rainier said it, repeated it back that way. But it is so true. It's it's because men are willing to put themselves in between us and harm, and you committed yourself to that. Uh, where what was that process coming out of playing football, being the captain of your high school football team? You went to college. What was that tipping process, General Boykin, that took you into, um, I'm going to serve my nation? There was no question when I came out of high school that I was going to ultimately serve my nation. And that was because my dad was one of uh, four brothers that were in World War II. Mm. And in fact, uh, my new book, Man to Man, uh, I start out, uh, in, I start that book out with a sort of an expose on my father, uh, my idol. Yeah. So I talk about him too at the very beginning of the book, but, uh, he and, uh, his, and four of his, three of his brothers were in World War II. Now, um, no, it's four of his brothers. I'm sorry. And now that set the stage for me knowing that because my name was Boykin and I was going to be a man one day, I had to serve the country. Yeah. My dad didn't talk a lot about his uh, time in the military uh, until he got around his brothers. <laughs> and, and they all, they all un, you know, revealed things that I'd never heard of before. And the World I War II vets, my dad was the same way, the World War II vets. And I would listen to them as they would talk. And yeah. my dad was the only one that was wounded. He lost uh, the vision of his eye on D-Day. Wow. At uh, Omaha Beach, uh, driving a landing craft. He was a name. Mm. Wow. But, um, but I, I knew that I was going to serve. Now, I came, out of, I came out of Virginia Tech having played football there for four years. And, and I, uh, I went to Fort Benning, Georgia. And, but I was not serving the Lord. I'd grown up in the church, but I was not serving the Lord. Because I, I had things I wanted to do. And, and you know, commitment to Christ was going to interfere with those things. And I just had things <laughs> I wanted to do, you know, well, when I got to Fort Benning, <clears throat> I became so burdened with, you know, the, the life that I had been living mm. you know, that I actually, uh, right by myself, I, I knelt down in a, in a bachelor officer quarter room there, a little one room, that I slept in and, and I just asked the Lord to take away my sins, to cleanse wow. me. And to, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of running. My athleticism really means very little here in the army. Mm -hmm. It's far more. I need a transcendent cause. I need, I need something that helps me to understand, you know, why it's worth me serving in our military and why it's, why it's in my best interest to turn my life over to you. Mm. And those two things came together mm. and God gave me a piece about it. And, uh, and then gave me the, the wherewithal, the, the talent or whatever, uh, to actually be able to stay for 36 and a half years. Yeah. And, and move up the ranks, but you were in, in battle Vietnam and, and all the way through all these different conflicts we've had. You know, and, and you led men, but you also had to help shape men. Uh, you know, I, I uh, in reading, I was, um, 
you know, grew up in the same era that you did on the West Coast. And I was 1A and ready to go and, and didn't serve. But um, it was sort of like, Lord, if this is your will, I'll, I'll go. But Sebastian Younger in his uh, book, on great book called War, he describes, uh, he embedded in Afghanistan, he talks about men, and as they served, and as they uh, fought uh, side by side, he said there's a moment where you, you're not thinking about the flag or the national anthem, but the, the risk or flight, you know, the, the flight thing that would happen in your body, he said the reason you don't is because of the man next to you. Mm -hmm. How do you build that? in a man, General? Yeah. I've seen men, in fact, two in particular, that received the medals of honor that <clears throat> literally sacrificed their lives for other men. Mm. Uh, Randy Shugard and Gary Gordon, two Medal of Honor winners in Mogadishu. I've seen other men risk their lives for their buddies. The first thing you got to do is you got to build a team. You got to build a, you got to build teamwork within the organization. But those men didn't get up that morning saying today, I'm going to die and I'm going to do it heroically. Yeah. No. Mm -mm. They were in either the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the right time, depending on how you look at it. But they didn't because in their training, um, they had built a camaraderie that you, I think you only find really at that level in our military. You begin to respect the man on your right and left, regardless of his color or race or education or you know, financial level. Right. You begin to respect him and he becomes your brother because you share hardship. You see, that's why sharing hardship is so important. That's one of the things that we don't allow our children to do now. We don't allow them to share hardship. I write about that in my latest book called Man to Man. I say, you know, dads, let your children experience hardship because it toughens them. And, and these men like Gary Gordon and, and Randy Shugart, they went through a lot of things with those men that they were trying to save. Right. They went through a lot of tough things, not only in training, but they'd been in combat before. And over a period of time, you develop such a bond, such a brotherhood, that you know that that guy that's in trouble right now, if this was reversed, he'd come to get you. William Tecumseh Sherman wrote a letter to Ulysses S. Grant in, 19, in 1864, March of 1864, right after he had uh, burned Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And he said to Grant, now think, think of this, Grant was the top general. Yeah. Sherman was one of the top generals, but he wrote to him and he said, I knew wherever I was that you thought of me and that you would come if I got in a tight spot, if you were alive. Mm. Well, think about that. That's the kind of bond that came through for those two guys. It came through having fought together previously. Yeah. Having built that bond and being tested by fire. 
So how do you build that? You train them hard, you let them experience hardship, and over time that bond, because they begin to depend on each other and they know that when the lead is flying, when they're really um, in combat, that they're gonna have to depend on each other. And then most of them have grown up with a, something called the Ranger Creed. Mm. And the fifth stanza of the Ranger Creed reads, never shall I leave a fallen comrade mm. to fall into the hands of the enemy. You know, we fought 18 hours in Mogadishu over dead bodies. That's what most people don't realize. We mm. could have gotten out of the city. But we had the bodies of two men trapped inside of the wreckage of a helicopter, and nobody was going to leave them. Until no. we got them out of that helicopter, nobody was going to leave. We took more casualties. That is a bond that develops through men that have been battle-tested and have endured hardship together. Yeah. They've learned to respect each other. Jesus said, he said that, that uh, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends. Yeah. And, and the shift that happened with the coming of Christ is, is that the, the intimacy, the brotherhood, if you will, that's come out of that. I think of Jesus and Lazarus, who uh, were such close friends. In fact, uh, General, I, I usually uh, tell men, I say, Jesus and Lazarus were such close friends that he didn't make Lazarus a disciple. Yeah. Because he needed yeah. somebody to hang out with. Yeah. You know, he needed to be able to say, hey, you should have should have seen Peter the other day. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Get out of the boat. You know, he needed somebody to talk to. He needed a brother. And I, I believe that that's one of the biggest things. Uh, modern psychology and the people who research these things tell us that the average man in America, and of course, we're being listened to all over the world, but I would say it's most likely the same, having traveled to 84 countries and and you've traveled the world. It says the average man today has 1.7 friends. And, and, and my joke is that everybody knows the 0.7 guy. He's the one that doesn't show up when you have to move. Yeah. But you know, I think that's a huge change in our culture. And, and I think the loss of brotherhood is partly where we're at and why you wrote Man to Man. Well, there's a chapter in Man to Man. And here it is, so everybody sees it if they can see us online. Otherwise, if they're hearing us, it's called Man to Man. There's a chapter. From Fidelis uh, Publishing. From Fidelis Publishing. There's a chapter called Man as a Battle Buddy. Mm. Think about it. Man as a Battle Buddy. It's a military concept. That's the guy that's got your six. And by the way, you got his six. You're watching for him, and he's watching for you. Your battle buddies. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpeneth another. Uh, Tuesday night of this week, uh, Dr. Stu Weber and I, Stu Weber wrote the best book for men that was ever written. For 20 years, he was with Promise Keepers, and he wrote a book called Tender Warriors. Tender Warriors, yep. It had an incredible impact on my life. He's an old Green Beret from Vietnam, but the two of us got on a call with a bunch of men from all across the country. And we did a, a presentation on the battle buddy. 
What is a battle buddy? This is what you're talking about. You're talking about this brotherhood. But your battle buddy is not just another friend. Mm -hmm. It's a man friend. And I emphasize with a big M, a man friend. He's a man. He's not one of these guys that's confused about his gender or his identity. He's mm -hmm. a man. And he understands what a man is supposed to be. But he's the guy that you can, you've, you've built this relationship over time. This didn't happen overnight. Right. He's the guy you go to when you said, man, I'm struggling. Man, I'm afraid. Man, I'm really worried about what's going to happen next. I've lost my job. And I don't know what to do next. And he's the guy that's going to not only encourage you and give you good, wise counsel, but he's the one that's going to say, I'll be praying, man. I really will. And you know that he will. You know that he's going to be praying. Yep. And you're going to do exactly the same thing for him when the situation is reversed. It's hard to find that battle buddy. But once you find him, it's worth more than gold and silver when you've got that battle buddy. But that's a relationship that is built over time. My battle buddy is Stu Weber. Hmm. He's my, and he lives on the West Coast, and I live on the East Coast. But let me tell you, we spend a lot of time together. Yeah, it may be on the phone, uh, or it may be uh, in elk camp up in the mountains of Idaho, or fishing on the on one of the rivers in Oregon. But we spend quality time together, and we make the best of that. And a man, especially today, and this, this is what we're living through right now, we need a battle buddy. We need that guy yeah, that we, we can call our battle buddy. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we need somebody we can call and somebody who calls us. And this is one of the things I've been saying over and over, General, is there's somebody you know right now who needs a text. There's somebody yeah. you know right now who needs a phone call. And, and you're the guy who's been called by God because it's on your heart. You've been called by God. So step up, have the courage, make the call, uh, do the stuff. Because uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this, says, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. That's a New Living Translation. NIV says, act like a man. <laughs> yes. So, And that's well, exactly what David told his son right before he died, didn't he? he well, said, he, told him, he told him be a man. And one of the last things he told Solomon is he said, hey, that guy Jehuda that messed me over, he said, go kill him. Yeah. He's not going to outlive me. Yeah, I like that part too. I do too. <laughs> it's like, it's like, do not let that guy live longer than I do, <laughs> man. That you know, David. You know, speaking of tender warrior, I mean, David. I love this guy, man. This guy could, you know, this guy could kill a bunch of guys and then write poetry about it. Yeah, and play a harp. And <laughs> I don't think it was a harp, General. I think I, I tend to think it's more of a Jimi Hendrix. I kind of think of it more. Of, <laughs> And sort of probably has a little bluegrass in it, but uh, maybe maybe a little country. Okay, just for you. So, uh, but but that's it. So, what what makes a man? You talk about man to man, and and you wrote this book. And in writing a book, for those of us who have written, we know what it takes. Most people have wanted to write a book, but to take the time, the pain, the effort, um, you know, it, it's like it's uh, Sam Chan calls it giving blood. 
but you spent this time and effort to write man to man. And part of it was the response to what you saw in uh, masculinity in our current culture. And then to be able to describe, here's what a real man is. What is a real man? When you talk about a man, man, what do you mean by that? Well, I, uh, I divide uh, this new book, Man to Man, into uh, really five things that a man is required to be. And, uh, and we do conferences built around these five things. We have different speakers on each of these five things. Man is a provider. Mm-hmm. Now, the financial provision is obvious, but a man also provides identity. Yeah. And a man provides direction. Remember 24th chapter of Joshua? When the man Joshua preached his own epitaph and got up and said, Choose ye this day which God you're going to serve. And he went on to say, But as for me and my house, he was providing direction. We will serve the Lord, he said. He was talking about generations to come. We will serve the Lord. He was providing direction. Yeah. So man provides all of those things. Man provides leadership, man provides a presence. Look at all the absentee fathers today. Yep. Look at the households that are falling apart, the families that are disintegrating because men are not providing a presence with that family. And, uh, and one of the guys that speaks on this at our conferences is Bishop Larry Jackson, who was also with Promise Keepers for 20 years uh, uh, out of Charlotte. And he does such a magnificent job of, of covering this topic. So a man is a provider. A man is also a, an instructor. Mm-hmm. And that, that means that a man bears the burden of knowing what's going on in the world that he lives in and knowing the Bible. Yeah. He's got to be on a Bible reading program. He's got to know the Word of God, and he's got to be able to look at issues and apply a biblical worldview to these issues. That's one of your first comments when we started talking a few moments ago was being in the word. Be in the word. And and that's what provides our true north and our true foundation. That's right. So if you if you don't know the word, you can't look at marriage, for example, and give a biblical understanding, a biblical worldview, or immigration, or taxes, mm-hmm. or the right to life. You can't, unless you understand what the word says. So you're the instructor in your home and in your community, even in your church. And you've got to know the word and have a biblical worldview. And George Barna with Barna Research says less than 9% of the American population of 330 million people, less than 9% have a biblical worldview. And that is because we are biblically illiterate. So you can't be an instructor if you don't know the Word of God and you don't know what's going on in the world around you. You don't know what right. to use. The third thing is a man is a defender. Now, not only do we defend you know, our families, but we defend the things that we hold dear. Look, I took an oath to the Constitution of the United States to support and defend that Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. But that's not the only thing. I, I have a responsibility to defend those values that I hold dear. Mm. That means that I have an obligation because I am pro-life. I'm not pro-choice. I'm pro-life. 
have an obligation to defend the unborn, the, the, the defenseless. The defenseless, yeah. Yeah, because we've, we've, we've killed 60 million babies in the womb, so I have, this is, this is one of my values, I have to defend that. So I can't just sit on the sideline and be critical. I have to do something. I have to speak out about it. I have to vote for candidates to support my values. Right. I have to do all I can. And so I am a defender in terms of defending the things that I hold dear. But here's the other thing. We have developed an attitude in this country that when we see something that is wrong that's happening right now, that that's none of my business. Well, yeah, it is your business if a woman's being abused. If a child is being abused, even if it's a parent and they are abusing that child, and I know that I'm, I'm, I'm stepping, I'm right up on the line now, but especially with a woman, a man is abusing a woman. You cannot walk by that and say, that's none of my business. Right. You better, you better step in and do something. And I tell the story in man to man of one day I was going down interstate 95 and there was a man on the side of the road beating, a, beating this woman. I thought he was going to kill her. And I stopped and jumped out and grabbed my, 45 caliber Kimber and ran down the side of the highway and it dawned on me. The only thing that all these people going down the highway are going to remember is this white man jacking around in a 45 caliber pistol running towards a black man with a gun in his hand. <laughs> by the time I got there, he realized when he saw that pistol that, uh, that things were not going to end well yeah. and, up and he let her go. Uh, but th the point of it was I decided I could stand before a judge, but what I could not do was stand before God Yes, and say, I passed, I passed right by. No. When you put me there, yeah. I'm being the defender that you called men to be. A man is also a battle buddy. We've already talked about that. Yeah. See, that's the issue with Gideon. Gideon had this great start. And we all talk about Gideon, this great young man of faith. But yeah. in, in the 30th verse of chapter 8 of Judges, it says that Gideon had 70 sons. And in verse 33, it says that the day Gideon died, he lost his kingdom. It says that the day he died after over 50 years of prosperity, it says the day he died, it says immediately Israel turned back to Baal. And the issue for me, General, about manhood and men and identity that a father provides is that not one of Gideon's sons stood up and said, no, this is not, you can kill me, you can take me out, but this is not who I am. This is not my, what my father gave us. And Gideon's failure was that he didn't disciple 70 sons. Not one of them stood up. And Gideon's failure, he lost his kingdom because he didn't disciple his sons. That's right. Now, think about the book of, uh, of Joshua and the book of Judges. In the very first chapter of Judges, it says that uh, Joshua, when Joshua was dead, there was no leader. Yeah. Now think about the fact that for 40 years, Joshua walked in the footsteps of Moses. Yeah. He was ready to cross that river. 
but he didn't do the same thing for the next leader in that in the in the Jewish clans and the Jewish tribes. Right. He didn't re, he didn't choose his own replacement and mentor him with the time that God had allowed him there. So that was a failure on Joshua's part. He's my favorite character in the Bible, but it was a failure on his part not to mentor the next guy that was going to take the mantle of leadership among the Israeli tribes. The that's Israeli why tribes. That's why fatherlessness is such a curse in our day and age. You know, uh, the, the LA Times just, just did a report on Monday of the week that you and I are talking, and they said that in, in places of poverty, over 30% poverty, where there's over 30% poverty, the, the death rate from COVID-19 is 300% higher than those places that don't have poverty. Sure. Now, we know that fatherlessness is the leading indicator of poverty in every culture in the world. And fatherlessness is the result of the immaturity of men. So the immaturity of men is actually killing people at a three, at a three times rate. Yeah. So when we're, when you're talking about these things, you're talking about the book, man to man, which I hope everybody gets and reads and then uses it to mentor somebody else. We're talking about these things. We're not talking about a kumbaya, Hey, you know, gather around, do a little uh, Bible study, go grab a coffee. This is life and death, and it's the future of our nation, the future of every nation on the face of the earth, and it's the legacy of men who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, that if we don't suck it up, pull up our little, you know, uh, poor me, and the, and the, maybe it's a little too hot in the building this week, and you know, all that kind of stuff we get sidetracked on. And the distractions of porn and all the other self-medicating things that so easily, Paul said, distract us. If we don't have the courage to just pull it up, General, you know, we lose the next generation. We're only one generation away from total anarchy. Yeah. That's, that's right. why I appreciate so much a man with your stature. Uh, you've got awards and decorations, 36 years uh, serving the United States in the military serving with distinction, three-star general, all the things you've done, but you're willing to lay your name and everything else on the line to call men to a place of biblical masculinity. So I thank God for you, sir. Well, thank you very much. And this is a, a deep passion because I'm at the Family Research Council. We can show you from the research that we have done that in any community in America, if you want good high school graduation rates, low crime rates, a good economy, and good personal health, the single most important thing you need is the intact family mm -hmm. in your community. That's all our research shows that. Yeah. That's a mother, a father, and child. Mother, father, and child. Well, you know, the secular writer, William Farrell, who, uh, out of Stanford, who used to be the attorney for the National Organization for Women in New York, wrote a book called The War on Boys, or The Boy Crisis. And in the middle of that book, uh, came out two years ago, uh, he says, this is a secular writer who used to be the, the advocate for NOW. He said the same thing, General. He said, uh, a mother and a father in a family is the most is the healthiest thing for a boy. Yep, it doesn't get much clearer than that. General, thank you for your time. I, I'm fascinated by this. I want to recommend not only man to man, but I also want to recommend your book Never Surrender. 
uh, if you want to uh, hear about intrigue, which starts in Washington, D.C. in Chapter 1, and then Rumsfeld, and then uh, you're working with uh, a man who I greatly admire, George W. Bush, who's a neighbor, and uh, was in our home, actually, when he was uh, governor. And I have a great admiration for him and, and enjoyed our times together. I had a letter from him, General, you know, that he signed and stuff. And after he became president, my wife says, where's that letter? I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, it was down below a bunch of stuff. You know how you do. And, yeah. uh, he was, he's just a guy. He's a baseball guy. He's an oil man and president and a great man of God. But I want to thank you, General, for, uh, for your dedication to this. I want to thank you for being there with Tony Perkins Family Research Council for all the people from uh, Dr. Dobson and others who helped make that thing happen yeah. and what you're doing now for your service to our country, not only in the military, but I, I would say right now with FRC on the front lines of the culture battles. So we pray that every place you put your feet will be holy ground and everything you put your hands to will prosper. And that, and that the Lord will keep you and your wife and family and your grandchildren deep within the grip of his favor in the days to come. And may you have many, many years of great influence. Thank you, sir, for your time. Amen. Thank you, and it's great being with you here. God bless you, man. God bless you. You've just experienced Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Paul is president of the Christian Men's Network. Connect with Paul at cmn.men or write to him at paul at cmn.man.